Another in NBC's great parade of new shows. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. An armed gang of blitz bandits has started to work in your city. Their pace is fast. Four and five robberies each night. The criminals are not amateurs. They're well-armed, dangerous. Your job, get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, October 23rd. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working a day watch out of robbery. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from the statistician's office, and it was 11.42 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. How'd it work out, Joe? Any good prospect? Well, I don't know how good they are, but I got a handful. How many did you get? Well, let me see. 15, 18, 22. Ethel down in the stats office ran them on the IBM for me. There they are. Hmm, let's see. It's a gang of three men working on foot. Blitz robberies. They only take cash. M.O. is tie-ups. Work from 8 to 10 at night. One of the gang's tall, the other two short. And these are the men the machine sorted out? Under that heading, yeah. If our information's wrong, then so's the machine. Got a good bunch of candidates here. Descriptions match up with what we got. They seem to. Check the names on that list, Ben. Some of the smartest thieves in the country. Yeah. Tommy Willis, Ray Grappa, Kemp Satelli, Manny Roberts, George Cross, Mario Kosky. Reads like June graduation at San Quentin. Yeah. George Cross and Tommy Willis are in town. We know that. And Kosky, he's around a couple of weeks ago. And what about the rest? It's a big field. Have to check them out, I guess. Might as well start at the beginning. Did you go through the overnight reports yet? Yeah. No restaurants, no liquor stores. That makes five days the gang's laid off. Well, they can afford to, can't they? Eighteen robberies in 24 days, that's a pretty good haul. This stop-and-go strategy of theirs, Joe, it's got me. Yeah. They work hard for a week in one area, and then they lay low. If they just keep going, we might have a better try at them. Hey, Joe. Yeah, Chandler. Fell out here to see you, Joe. Name's Decker. Decker. Henry Decker? Didn't say. Want to see him? Yeah, send him in. Right. All right, Mr. Decker, this way. How are you, Joe? You're looking good. Oh, Hank Decker. How are you? I'm fine. Well, what are you waiting for? Applause? Come on in and shut the door. <laughs> Hank, this is my partner, Ben Romero. Ben, Hank Decker. How are you, Hank? How are you, Ben? Hank and I are in service together. Yeah, I just dropped in for a visit, Joe. Are you busy? No more than usual. Sit down. Right, thanks. I remembered you telling me you were on the PD, so I figured I'd drop around and get an inside track. How do you mean? I just filed with civil service to take the exam next month. Figure I'd like to work at being a cop. He shell shocked you. <laughs> Great pep talk you boys hand out. You sure you want to be a cop? Oh, look, I'm 30 years old, Joe. I'm married, high school education, about a year of junior college. What's your wife think? 
She's not sold. Well, that's why I dropped in. How about coming out to the house for dinner tonight? You want me to sell her? Just talk to her. Seven okay? Yeah, seven's okay. I'm glad to have met you, Ben. Same here, Decker. See you again. All right. Bye, Joe. See you tonight, Hank. Well, what do you think, Ben? Ought to make a good cop. We had a list of 22 possible suspects. By 5 o'clock, Ben and I had checked out two of them who might possibly have had a hand in the Blitz robberies of the 18 liquor stores and restaurants in the past 24 days. Number one man was Thomas Willis, Caucasian, age 29, 5 feet 11 inches, 175 pounds, dark hair, blue eyes. Number two man was Mario Kosky, Caucasian, 5 feet 6 inches, 170 pounds, dark hair, dark eyes, large scar under his chin, running across his throat, up to and behind his left ear. According to our informants, and after questioning some of their associates, either Willis or Kosky or both could have taken part in the Blitz holdups. We showed their mugs to the victims, but none of them could give us definite assurance that either Willis or Kosky were in the holdup gang. At seven that night, I went out to Hank Decker's house for supper, met his wife, Linda, his four-year-old twin boys. We talked about the army, played with the kids for a while. Before we sat out to eat, we put the boys in bed. Hank was in the kitchen carving a roast. His wife closed the door to the kids' room, and we started downstairs for the kitchen. What do you think of our two atom bombs? They're fine kids, Miss Decker. Hank told me that you were worried about him wanting to join the force. I was 12 years old when my father was shot down. He was a policeman in Des Moines. He was only 37 when he died. I wouldn't know what to do if anything like that happened to Hank. What do you want me to say? But does Hank really want it? Can't you talk him out of it? You're his wife. Can you? No, I think it's his choice, Miss Decker. He's going to have to make up his own mind. I'm sorry. If it's what Hank wants, I guess I worry too much. A lot of women marry cops. They have, and they will, and they all worry. Hank will be all right. Will you guarantee it, Joe? During the next month, I heard from Hank Decker only once. He was studying hard. During the same month, Ben and I were working hard, trying to find some kind of a concrete lead to break the Blitz gang. There had been no subsequent holdups which seemed to tie in directly with the gang or its operations. From the list of possible suspects which Ben and I made up, 18 names had been eliminated for one reason or another. Either they were in jail at the time of the robberies, out of the Los Angeles area, or out of the state. But four names remained. George Cross... Tommy Willis, Mario Kosky, Julian Brock. During the latter part of the month, George Cross was booked on a minor charge, and we questioned him at that time. He showed no knowledge of the holdups. Nearly two months after the robberies were committed, Ben and I were still without a solution as to the whereabouts of the gang. Never known a Blitz gang back like this way before, Joe. Once they get wound up, they usually go until they're caught. Yeah. Did you get out those telegram checks to the east yet? Last night before I went home. Sent out all three. Willis, Kosky, and Brock. I'd like to find just one of them. Chicago might have something. That's Kosky's old hangout. Willis, too. Mm. What about Brock? He's from Kansas City, isn't he? Yeah. I got a wire, too. Might have an answer from one of them tomorrow. Job. We'll have to wait it out. Yes, so. No follow-ups from the victims we talked to. I'll get it. Robbery Friday. Oh, hiya, Joe. Hank Decker, congratulate me. What for? I just passed my written exam. Got the letter this morning. How about that? That's fine. When do you take your physical? Oh, not till the end of the month. 
week, I take the oral and agility tests, then the physical. If I get by them, I'm in. Well, you're going to have a full month at the police academy after the test. is a lot of work, Hank. Oh, it can't be any worse than these tests. It's a tough 30 days out there on the hill. Law, court procedure, evidence, combat fire, target practice. You'll have to wade through all of them. Are you ever going to have anything encouraging to say? Yeah, when you graduate. I won't count on it. How's the job going? Slow. How's your wife feel now? About taking the job? Mm-hmm. A little better. She said to say hello. Okay. Keep us posted, huh? I'll do that, Joe. Right. Bye. Hank passed his written test. Hmm. Sure anxious. Brandy, Romero, got a minute? Yes, careful. Come on, Joe. You got something, Ed? Yeah. Those bitch robberies you're handling. Not having much luck. We were. Gangs disappeared. Not a trace of them so far. They leave town? Oh, we're not sure, Ed. We don't even have a good description. We're guessing most of the way. What are your guesses? You've had a couple of months to make them. Twelve of the holdup victims we talked to told us definitely that there were three men in the gang. Two of them short, one of them tall. We've just been working from there. All three of them have dark complexions. Started with 22 possibilities and got it weeded down to four. No, wait a minute, three. Yeah. Tommy Willis, Mario Kosky, Julian Brock. Willis and Kosky are eastern hoods. Brock's from the Middle West. And where are they now? Haven't showed their faces around town. Checking some of the cities in the east. That's about all we got, Skipper. Uh, not much for two months' work. Thieves can't be that smart. Right now they are. We've sounded out every lead we had, Ed. We're doing our best. Either of you ever hear of a man by the name of Al Mishikov? No, I don't think so. Chicago gunman in the old days, wasn't he, Ed? That's right. I thought he was doing time in Joliet. Paroled last year. Got a tip he was spotted on East Broadway night before last. You figured it might tie in with our job? I don't know. Find out. If I remember right, Mishikov's brother used to be pretty friendly with Mary Olkowski. I helped send both of them up 13 years ago. Same rap. Robbery. Was that all you heard, Ed? Somebody spotted Mishikov? That's all. If you can track him down, you might get some kind of a lead. That's more than you got now. That night and for the next two nights following, Ben and I had dinner downtown instead of going home, and then we spent the rest of the night covering the lower end of the city in search of Al Mishikov. We got more than a dozen leads on where to find him from some of our informants, but none of the leads paid off. We kept missing him. No one knew where he was staying. No one knew, or no one would tell us. Worst thing about this job, Joe, leg work. You must be averaging ten miles a night. My feet say twenty. Almost midnight. Here's McCarthy's place. Let's try it. Right. Let's go down at the end of the bar, Ben. Yeah. Hiya, Ben. Good to see you come in. What's new? Oh, not much, Bert. Meet my partner, Joe Friday. Hiya, Friday. What do you fellas have? Looking for a guy, Bert. His name's Al Mishikoff, Chicago. You heard anything? He was in here earlier tonight. A couple of guys with him. Are you sure? What do you look like? Six feet, about 45, I guess. Big build. Sounds like him all right, Joe. Is he staying in the neighborhood, Bert? Down here? I don't think so. Most of those big-timers stay uptown someplace. You looking for Mishikoff? I'd like to talk to him. How long ago was he in? Oh, about 8 o'clock. A couple of guys with him. They were talking about driving out to the airport. Something about Las Vegas. Uh-huh. There's an 840 plane for Vegas, isn't there, Ben? I think so. 840, 850. I can't recall where. Bert, do you remember the exact time they left? Exactly. No. But say, there's one of the fellas that was with Mishikoff down there in the middle of the bar. Which one, Bert? There. One with a sandy hair. Big chin. See him? Yeah. Want to talk, Joe? Come on. And, George, you know what he said? He said when he was in Vegas last week. Yeah. Pardon me. Killing. Yeah, that's where... Pardon me. I'd like to talk to you a minute. Yeah, who are you? Police, Sergeant Friday. Oh, have a drink, Sergeant. No, thanks. I said I wanted to talk to you. 
Square John, huh? Wait a minute, George. Square John wants to talk to me. Come on outside. We can talk better out there. I ain't done nothing. What's the pitch? I got a right to know. Let's go outside. Maybe I don't want to go outside. I think you better. Come on. All right, all right. Quit shoving, you dumb cop. Shoving people around. What are you trying to do? All right, down this way. Car's parked up the next alley, Joe. Hey, look, what's this all about, huh? I got a right to know. You were seen with Al Mishikoff tonight. Where is he? Who? Al Mishikoff. You want us to spell it? I don't think you can spell your own name. Nobody's asking you to play smart. Where's Mishikoff? Out of town. What do you care? Here's the car. All right, inside, you. Well, look, you got me wrong. I ain't done nothing. Where's Mishikoff? You and some other guy drove to the airport with him tonight. Let's have it. I'm clear, I tell you. I just drove out with him, that's all. Where'd Mishikoff go? Vegas. Took the plane for Vegas. When? About 8.30, quarter to nine. What's up, anyway? Who's the guy traveling with Mishikoff? Nobody. Who's the guy traveling with Mishikoff? Kosky. I, I just met him tonight. Mario Kosky, is that the guy? Yeah, I, I'm leveling. I ain't done nothing. Ben, get to a phone, call the office, contact Las Vegas police, ask them to pick up Kosky and Mishikoff. When we got back to the office, we questioned the man we had picked up for almost two hours. His name was John Delmar, an ex-convict. He'd been paroled from Folsom Prison two months before after serving three and a half years for burglary. He said Mishikoff was looking for a man to work with him and Kosky. He didn't specify the work. Delmar said he refused the offer, but they parted on friendly terms. He said Kosky and Mishikoff told him that they were going to Las Vegas for a few days, then returned to Los Angeles. But when Ben and I checked back with the Las Vegas police the next morning, they reported that nobody answering the description of either Kosky or Mishikoff was seen arriving or leaving the airport. We checked with the airlines and sent inquiries to law enforcement agencies throughout the entire area. No sign. Three weeks went by. Still, no sign. Nothing in the overnights, Joe. Mm, no, not a thing. Oh, yeah, same here. Reno, Sacramento, San Francisco, nobody's seen them. Ain't got to come out sometime. We can wait. Yeah, we can wait. Gets on your nerves. Let's check with Backstrand. Maybe he's got a job for us in the meantime. You're getting as eager as your friend Hank Decker, Joe. Incidentally, how'd things turn out for him? He passed all his exams, putting in his month's training at the academy now. He should do all right. Hiya. Hi, Mike. Skipper busy? Not in his office. Won't be until afternoon. What's the matter? He's got a lecture at the police academy this morning. Thanks, Mike. Come on, Ben. Ben and I drove out to the police academy near Elysian Park. We went out to check with Ed Backstrand on the Blitz robberies, not to listen to his lecture. When we walked into the classroom, he was just finishing up, so we sat in the back of the room and listened. It was a pretty good speech. Because of the alertness of the arresting officer, his talent for memorizing detail, and his knowledge of how a criminal acts under a given set of circumstances, the arrest was made. Well, that's about it, gentlemen. Thank you for your attention. Now, uh, when I ran this speech over at home, my wife said it wasn't a very good talk, but at least it came out on time. Now, it seems, I'm two minutes short, so I guess I failed on both counts. If I may, I'd, I'd like to use the few minutes that are left to tell you what I think of being a cop after 24 years. For one reason or other, you men have chosen the career of a police officer. Well, let me tell you right now, without any qualifications, it's a thankless job. Maybe you can't see it now. Maybe you think I'm exaggerating. But when you graduate next week and get that uniform on, your whole lives are going to change. You're uh, going to lose friends, a lot of them. They'll want parking tickets fixed, some other favors. You'll have to turn them down, so you'll be a heel. 
A fathead. When you're on the beach, you're going to meet the cream of society and the scum, the lowest. Sometimes you won't be able to tell the difference. Some of you will have to work with thugs, stupid gangsters, dope addicts, cheap women, all the human garbage you can find in a big city. You'll come home at night and take a shower to wash off the dirt, but you still won't feel clean. That's a job. When you buy a box of candy and bring it home for your anniversary, the neighbors will say you chiseled it. When you save up a few dollars and buy a new car or some furniture for the house, it's graft. People are going to want favors. They'll offer you things, a free beer or a new dress for your wife. If you take it, you're a chiseler. If you don't, you're a tough cop. Well, here's a piece of advice. Take nothing from anyone, no matter how good a friend he is. Pay for everything you get and don't ask favors. Treat everybody alike, no matter what they look like or what they believe in. You don't play favorites. There are going to be times when a few men in the department get out of line. The newspapers will play it up because it makes good reading and the average John public will love it. Because that's the only way he can pay you back for that traffic ticket you gave him. Being a good cop is a hard job, but it's a good one. Let me warn you just once more. It's one of the most thankless jobs on earth. That's all, gentlemen. The following week, Hank Decker graduated from the police academy and hit the transfer list for a regular assignment. He drew a job of teaching combat firing and boxing at the academy. He didn't like it, so he put in a request for a transfer and waited. For the next six weeks, Ben and I waited, too, for some sign of the Blitz bandits. There wasn't any. The only possible suspects, Mario Kosky and Al Mishikoff, had disappeared completely. We kept a close check on every possible avenue of information. Still, no sign. Ben and I were transferred to the night watch on robbery for a few weeks, and that gave Hank Decker a chance to drop in and visit with us a couple of hours when he went off duty at the academy. He was still as eager as ever. Hi, Ben. Joe, anything new? Hi, Hank. Nothing here. What about the academy? Oh, big news. Hmm. What's up? Getting a transfer starting next Monday. Gonna start on a beat. Thought you were all tied up with that boys' club you started out there. Oh, I was, but Hanson's gonna take over when I leave. Ah, the kids sure love it. Free swimming in the pool, boxing lessons. We teach them everything. Where's your beat gonna be, huh? Central, right in the downtown district. Might learn something, huh? You'll learn a lot. You want to forget most of it. Look, it's a quarter after seven. Don't you ever go home for dinner, Hank? Oh, getting a wife used to it. This new shift's gonna be night work, you know. Wait till you're on it for a year, and then you tell us how you like it. A year? I want to be in the detective bureau after a year. Well, you're not even going to last a year if you don't get home to dinner. Your wife's called twice this week already. She calls me. Okay, when did she call tonight? She hasn't, Jen. Oh, I guess I better head her off. Let me know if anything breaks, huh, Joe? I'd like to tag along. Okay, Hank. Well, on your way. Okay, good night. So long. Good night. Yeah. How eager can you get? Were we like that when we started? Not me. I never had that much energy at one time in my whole life. Hot shot, Joe. I'll get it. At 767 East Broadway, a liquor store, 211 and slugging. At 767 East Broadway, a liquor store, 211 and... 767 East Broadway, 211, liquor store. Let's go. East Broadway, King's Liquor Store. We pushed our way through the small crowd outside the door and into the shop. Two patrolmen in uniform were already interviewing the proprietor. He had two large gashes on his head just above the right temple. He was trembling and badly shaken, but he managed to give us a good description of the holdup men. 
Yeah. I can tell you what they look like. Three of them. One short, one tall, husky, another short, fat. You remember what they were wearing? Uh, coats. All three, dark coats. Uh, one of the short men, he had a big scar here on the throat, like this. After the three men robbed the store, they slugged me and tied me up. Turner, this man's hurt. You call an ambulance? On the way, Sergeant. That's fine. We have just one more question, Mr. King. Here's a handful of pictures. We'd like you to tell us if any one of these men were in the gang that held you up tonight. Let me look. There you are. Take your time. No. No, not him. No. 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 Oh, this one. Here. Here. He took the money from the register. Would you look through the rest, please? Are there any more? Uh, let me see again. No. No. Oh, here. Another one. The fat one with the scar. This is him. I think he's the one that slugged me. Thanks, Mr. King. Here's our card. We'll be contacting you later. Turner, will you and your partner take the crime report? We've got some checking to do. Right, Sergeant. Thanks. Come on, Ben. Yeah. Koski and Mishikov. You picked out both of them, Joe. Yeah, they certainly did, didn't you? Attention, all units. Attention, all units. Wait a minute. The southeast corner of Broadway and East 3rd, a liquor store and restaurant, 211, code 3. All units, the southeast corner of... Come on, Ben, let's roll. When we got to the liquor store and restaurant at Broadway and East 3rd, Ben and I knew for certain that Koski and Mishikov were back in the city and working hard. Their M.O. matched down to almost the smallest detail. We put a call through to communications and the entire Central Division was alerted. Then we called Chief Backstrand and told him the news. He assigned a special detail from the Metropolitan Unit to patrol the area until further notice. But at 9.23 p.m., before they pulled out of the police garage, the Blitz Bandits added two more liquor stores and one more restaurant to their list of victims. Early the next morning, Ben and I met with Chief Backstrand in his office. You got a make on that third man yet? We ran his description through R&I early this morning, Ed. Closest candidate's a guy by the name of Julian Brock. Done time here in New York. Any tie-up with Kosky or Mishikov? Mama, she says he knows Kosky pretty well. And that's good enough. Now, how do you think you're going to get these thieves? We've got the alert out, Chief. Special detail from Metropolitan Division's been brief. Communication's all set. All right, here's a tip for you. Tell the men if there's a hold-up call that only the car in the area of the hold-up will handle it. These thieves are no amateurs. Let me try some decoy trick. Tell the men to stay in the area they're assigned to until they receive a call. Check? We'll take care of it, Ed. You going to be on hand tonight? And when do you figure on starting? We'll have the full detail out at 6.30. Play it safe and start at 4. Why chance missing them? At 3.30 that afternoon, we left the police garage with a special detail from Metropolitan Division and we started to cruise the central area. We weren't looking for any action the first few hours and we didn't get any. The five o'clock traffic in the downtown area was heavy as usual. Hope that gang holds off till after six. We couldn't get out of this traffic if our lives depended on it. Well, we'd probably do better on foot if it wasn't for radio contact. Control 4 to 80K. Control 4 to 80K, your location. Get it, will you, Joe? Yeah, wait till I get the mic. 80K to Control 4. 80K to Control 4. Our location on Spring Street between 2nd and 3rd. 80K, stand by. 80K, call your office, code 2. Call your office, code 2, KMA 367. 80K to control four, Roger. Cam A367. Yeah. Now what do I do for a parking space? You know, you're lucky. That guy up ahead there, he's pulling out. 
Good. That hasn't happened to me in six months. Okay, hold on, Ben. I'll be back in a minute. Yeah. Two five one one. Two five one one. Robbery, Chandler. This is Friday, Bill. You want us? Yeah, just a minute, Joe. Chief wants to talk to you. Hello, Friday. Yeah, Ed. Cruiser car just brought in a guy answering the description of Mario Koski. Yeah. Get over here right away and question the guy. If it is Koski, we can all go home early. Ben and I went back to the office and questioned the man who gave his name as Conrad Larkin. It was Kosky's approximate height and weight, same color hair, same color eyes. The resemblance to Kosky's picture was evident. We questioned him thoroughly about the Blitz robberies, and then we checked out his fingerprints. The coincidence was hard to overlook, but we were satisfied. The man was not Mario Kosky. There was a phone message on my desk to call Hank's wife. I called her, and then we checked with Chief Backstrand again and started for the police garage. It was ten minutes past six. Hey, Ben, Joe, wait a minute, will you? Oh, hi, Hank. What's all the excitement? I heard about those jobs last night, the Blitz gang. How about tagging along tonight? What's the stare? Hey, suit yourself, Hank. When are you due home for dinner? I told the wife I'd eat out tonight. You sure you're not due home for dinner? No, not tonight, Joe. Uh, did you have any luck yet? Not so far, Hank. Maybe later on tonight. Come on, here's the garage. How close did you come to the gang last night? Not close enough. Two steps ahead of us, all the way. They sure must work fast. Five jobs in a row. All right, Hank, let's don't rub it in, huh? Hey, Ben, watch it, will you? Yeah. Woman driver. How about it, Joe? You think I can make the outfit? You talk to Ed Backstrand. He might get you a transfer after a while. Yeah, I might try it. Joe, look across the street. There's a guy coming out of the bar. Where? In front of the bar. He's standing there. Guy in the dark Uh, coat, you see? Yeah. Two other guys behind him. Who is it? I can't be sure. Ben, you better pull up. Kosky looks just like his picture. All right. Come on. All right, hold it, mister. We want to talk to you. Run for it, Al. Cover! Watch it, Joe. Hank, get down. Get down. Two of them down, Ben. Other one went up alley. Let's go. Did they get Hank? Yeah. All right, hold it right here. All right, Kosky. Throw out your gun and come out with your hands up. All right, let's return the fire. Come on. Hey, he had his chance. Yeah, grab his gun. Let's get back to Hank. Hmm. Did you get the guns from the other two? Yeah, they're dead. Hank got them both. All right, one side, please. Officer, did you call an ambulance? Yeah, they're on their way. Come on, Ben. One side, please. Will you let us through? Hank. How you doing? That's a good job. Ben, will you get the crowd black? Give him some air. Would you just move back? Yeah, and right right on, on, on. Joe. All right, easy, Hank. They'll be here in a minute. Hank? Hank. How's it going, Joe? Gone? Yeah. Come on. What have you got, Joe? Phone message from Hank's wife. For you? Yeah. You returned the call? Before we left the office. Who was it? 
She wanted me to remind Hank. He was due home for dinner at 7 o'clock. The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the 12th in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Patrolman James Frank Goggin of the Cleveland Police Department, who on the morning of January 13th, 1939, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. If you enjoyed tonight's production of Dragnet, you'll want to listen to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, as played by the screen's romantic tough guy, Dick Powell, heard Saturday on most of these NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Here is another in NBC's great parade of new shows. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to auto theft detail. In three months, more than 250 cars have been broken into. Property mounting well into thousands of dollars has been stolen. Two youthful members of the gang have been apprehended. The all-important brains of the criminal ring, the leaders, are still at large. Your job? Get them. Dragnet. The documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, March 2nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night shift out of auto theft. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the interrogation room, and it was 10.58 p.m. when I got to room 26, chief of detectives' office. Real tough kids, aren't they? Yeah, they won't admit a thing. Now, sit down. Thanks. When did you pick him up? About 8.30 tonight in the parking lot behind the Star Theater out on Sunset. He was lifting the radio out of a 48 convertible. He's had lots of experience. The report says you picked up a 19-year-old girl with him. She was waiting for the guy in a parked car across the street from the theater. The car was full of loot. The first real break we've had on those auto burglaries in three months, and it's no good to us. Neither one of them will talk. They won't even admit they know each other. You run makes on them? Just did. We've been questioning the boy for an hour, getting nowhere. Uh, what's his name again? Freeman. Stanley Freeman. Oh, yeah. Age 20. Address, Butte, Montana, down here for a vacation. Uh, he doesn't lie very well, Ed. 
He's never been to Butte, Montana in his life. Knows less about the town than I do. Well, get to him. Right, Ed. Where'd you put the girl? We had a policewoman take her to our office. We can talk to her when we finish with the boy. Well, what's her story? Hasn't any. She won't even open her mouth. Nineteen years old. Probably needs a good spanking. Now, get him to talk. Right. Run a make, Joe? Yeah, he's clean. Jeff Wise, huh, Flatfoot? Look, you're in a bad spot, son. That kind of talk isn't going to help. Says you. We caught you red-handed trying to steal a radio that didn't belong to you from a car it didn't belong to you. Is that right? That's enough to send you to San Quentin, boy. You better give us the story. Shut up. We've got all the evidence we need for him. Maybe you don't realize how serious this is. We've had more than 250 car burglaries in this city in the past three months. Over $200,000 worth of property has been stolen. That's a lot of money. So what? So you're the number one suspect, young fellow. Your method of operation in breaking into that car tonight is the same used in most of the other burglaries. That means you're not going to be tried just for this job tonight. What are you getting at, Flatfoot? Listen, son. In the state of California, breaking into a locked car is a felony. You can go to state penitentiary for that. And we're going to file a complaint of burglary with the district attorney in the morning. You say you're from Butte, Montana. All right, I don't believe you, but we'll make sure. Ben, go down to our office and call the news photographers. Stanley here is going to have his picture on the front page of every newspaper in Los Angeles tomorrow. Right, Joe. No. You can't. I won't let you. I got my rights. What's the matter, youngster? Everybody wants his picture in the paper. Yeah, well, I don't. I won't let him. We got your picture already for him, remember? I took it when they fingerprinted you. You can't use it. You can't. I'll get a lawyer. Reporters will be over in a couple of minutes. We have to give me a story and your picture, too. Or this one. You won't. You won't. Give it all to right, me. All right, all right. Give it to all me. All right, Freeman, get your hands off him. Now sit down. All right. Now let's have it straight. Don't let him use the picture. Don't let him. You can't. You can't. We got to have the truth, son. Now look, you're 20 years old. You know right from wrong. You'll have to take your medicine. If you cooperate, we'll do all we can to help. I... I live out in the Wilshire District. All I wanted was a little extra money. We didn't take much. We didn't think it was so wrong. It was stealing, Freeman. You know that's wrong. Where do you live out there? Piper Avenue. 821 Piper. You won't give him my picture. You live there with your family? Yeah, my mother. Father's dead. Uh, promise me you won't give him the picture. My mother, she'd see it. Uh, promise me. You're working with a gang on those auto burglaries. We know that. Now, who are they? Where are they? And what's the setup? I can't. They get me for it. Who'd get you? I can't tell you. I can't. Who's your girlfriend, Stanley? The one you were with tonight. Joanne. Joanne Miller. Where does she live? Piper Avenue, same as me. Lives on the same block, 866. Is that her home? She live there with her folks? Yeah. Mother and father. They work. And you got her into this. Isn't that the story she gave us, Ben? I did not. I didn't. It was her. She said a bunch of kids were doing it. It was quick money, something to do at night. She started it. All right, Romero. I'll go see the girl. You stay here with Freeman. All right, Joe. Just stay put in that chair for him. 
Hi, Marge. Hello, Joe. You and Romero handling this case? Yeah. I'd like to talk to the girl a few minutes, Marge. Will you stand by? Right. I'll sit over here. Thanks. All right, miss. What's your name, age, and address? I told this lady cop 15 minutes ago I'm not saying anything. All right, then we'll tell you. Your name's Joanne Miller. You live at 866 Piper Avenue. You live with your father and mother. Both of them work. You're a liar. That's not me. You're 19 years old. You live on the same block as your boyfriend, Stanley Freeman, and you're the one who got him mixed up in this gang. Isn't that right? No, it's not right. It's not. I didn't do anything. Well, that's only half the story. Freeman told us everything. You want to hear the rest? No. Stan wouldn't tell you. He wouldn't. He told us how you got him mixed up in it. Quick money. That's what you told him, didn't you? No, it was him. I can prove it. The rest of the kids will tell you. He got me in this. Ask them, they'll tell you. It was Stanley and Fred Milford and George Jansen. They started it, all three of them. All right. Will you tell the story to a police stenographer? I'll tell him everything. He's not blaming this on me. Marge, will you go get the stenographer? Right. Now, how many persons in this gang of yours? Oh, about ten or twelve. And it's not my gang, either. He got me into this, and now he's trying to lie his way out, blaming me. How long have you been doing this, burglarizing cars? Me? Oh, only about two weeks. It was supposed to be fun, something to do at night. The rest of them have been at it a couple of months. Who's the head of the gang? I told you, it's him, Stanley, and Fred Milford and Jansen, all three. I only started going out with him two weeks ago, maybe less. All right, Joanne. Tell it to the stenographer the same way. The stenographer will be in a minute, Joe. Okay, Marge, thanks. Stay with it. Right, Joe. Just about a closed case, Ben. Girl gave us a full confession. She didn't. Oh, you're not tricking me again. She didn't. She told us you're one of the leaders of the gang, Stanley. Said you got her into all this. The other two are George Jansen and Fred Milford. About a dozen kids in the gang, all of them about your age. Isn't that right? She's lying, can't you tell? She's lying. She got me into the gang. Well, she did. She's Milford's girlfriend. Ask her. Oh, she can't lie out of that one. She got me into it. I can prove it. Who's the real leader of the gang? Milford. He, he started it. He organized the whole thing. He collects the stuff we get and he delivers it. Jansen helps him do it. What do you mean he delivers the stuff? Where does he deliver it? Well, somewhere in Dogtown, I think. Down around South Main, near the railroad yards. Who's it delivered to? Well, I don't know exactly. I heard Jansen mention the name once. Myra, he said, it's, it's supposed to be a big secret. Myra, that's that's all I remember. Where does Jansen and Milford live? Well, Jansen rooms down on East Flower. 1042, I think. It's, it's a rooming house. And Milford lives two blocks over from me on Quincy. 234 Quincy. He lives with his grandmother. Got that, Ben? Right. All right, let's pick up Milford and Jansen. It was ten minutes past one when Ben and I returned to headquarters with George Jansen and Fred Milford in our custody. In Jansen's room at 1042 East Flower Street, we found two fur coats, a box full of new car accessories, an S&W 38 revolver, and a 45 automatic. When we picked up Fred Milford at his home, we discovered five deluxe car radios hidden in the garage, plus a valuable assortment of cameras, cigarette lighters, and clothing. Both Jansen and Milford refused to talk. But when we got them to headquarters and showed them the signed statements of Stanley Freeman and the girl, Joanne Miller, they broke. Milford, um... Where else did you and your gang operate besides the Wilshire district? No place. Only out there. That's all. Same type of car burglars have been committed all over the city. 
You're telling us your gang didn't have a hand in them? It's the truth. Our territory was Wilshire District. We didn't go outside. You mean some other gang's responsible? I don't know. All I know is we didn't have any part of them. Is there another gang, Milford? Maybe. I don't know. You find out. It's none of my business. It is your business, Milford. You admit you and your gang committed 55 jobs in the past three and a half months. That leaves about 200 jobs to be accounted for. That's right. You figure it out. We have figured it out. I think you and your gang of young thieves pulled every one of those 250 jobs. There isn't any other gang. That's the story the district attorney's going to get. You're crazy. There is. I know there is. Then give us the information and save yourself a lot of trouble. Well, we're not the only ones. That's all I know. Milford, do you know how many years you get for auto burglary? I told you, we're not the only ones. There must be a couple of others besides us. Vince Mahoney, he's got a gang. Where does Mahoney operate? West Hollywood and Beverly. Where does he live? I don't know. Honest, I, I only met him a couple of times. Where'd you meet him? I don't remember. Where'd you meet him, Milford? Delivery. I met him down at the delivery place a couple of nights. When you delivered the property you stole from cars, is that right? Yeah. Where was that? Down by the railroad yards. Where? Chavez Street. It's a little alley off East Main. Who'd you deliver the stuff to? I told you, our name's Myra. That's all I know. We meet her and some guy on Tuesday nights. We give them the stuff and they pay us off. Mahoney delivers the same night I do. Do you meet her every Tuesday night? Yeah. You're going to meet her this Tuesday, tomorrow night? I don't know. I guess so. Same place? Yeah. Are you the only one she deals with? Sometimes Joanne. Near Joanne. I know what you're thinking. You want to use me to trap Myra. Well, what's it worth? You know better than that. How about it, Milford? Oh, what else can I do? Give me another cigarette. By 3.30 that morning, the signed statements and confessions were piling up fast. Milford gave us a list of the names and addresses of each member in his gang, and within an hour, they were all under questioning at headquarters. Most of the suspects, about one-third of them girls, ranged in age from 18 to 21. As they told their individual stories, the scope of the case grew until it covered most of the city. By late afternoon of the next day, Tuesday, March 3rd, three more gangs operating in Venice, Bel Air, and North Hollywood have been apprehended. They confessed to more than 175 burglaries from locked cars during the past three and a half months. At five o'clock that afternoon, Ben and I met with Chief Backstrand in his office. How many admissions you have now? Over 50, Ed. Here are the gang leader's statements. Mm-hmm. What's their story? Well, it's pretty much the same. They all say this woman, Myra, set up the operation. You mean she got the kids and put them to work burglarizing cars? Well, not exactly. She picked the leaders, contacted them in bars or on the street, asked them if they wanted to pick up some spare money getting auto parts for it. Then she didn't tell them to go out and burglarize cars? Well, not in so many words, Ed, No. After they brought in auto parts for a couple of weeks, she told them to bring her everything they could find, outside the car or inside. Those are the words she used. Five of the kids dictated those words into their signed confession. Oh, that should hold in court. What else did you get on this woman? Oh, she taught them how to work, told them to wear gloves, all the angles. Uh-huh. Well, we got most of the small fry. Now, where do we find this Myra woman? Any description on her? Yeah. Kids say she's about 33, 34. Good-looking redhead. Five feet five, about 120. Well dressed. No description on the guy she runs with. You run a make on her yet? Yeah, no previous record. We set up a stakeout for her tonight. Two of the gang leaders have volunteered to go along, this Milford and Vince Mahoney. Uh, good. Down on uh, Chavez, where she usually meets them? Yeah, that's right. When? 11.15. That's the regular time for the meet, according to the kid. All right, I'll be at home. Call me. I don't want to miss out on this one. <laughs> 
When Ben and I left Ed Backstrand's office, we went home for dinner and a few hours sleep. At 9.30 p.m., we were back at the office. We met the men in the special detail which Backstrand had assigned for the stakeout that night. We briefed them on their duties, and then we got Fred Milford and Vince Mahoney out of their cells. To avoid any possible suspicion of the presence of a trap, we had Milford's permission to use his car in the stakeout. The car which he had said he had driven to the delivery meetings with the woman, Myra, at least a dozen times before. We arrived at the stakeout area, Chavez Alley in East Main, at 9.58. The meeting was scheduled for 11.15. The moon was out, but the sky was overcast, and there was a cold wind blowing from the east. Hey, what time you got, Sergeant? Mm, about 10. Why, Milford? Getting nervous? No, just wondering. How are you cops going to rig this thing? In just a couple of minutes, we're going to plant you two in Milford's car parked up there in the alley. Now, you stay there until Myra shows up. We'll do the rest. Yeah, I know, but what'll we say? Suppose she asks for some stuff. We ain't got any. You won't need any. You won't have much time for talking. Hey, suppose she wises up. Maybe she'll pull a gun. Maybe. Does she carry one? No. Never saw her with one. Don't worry, Milford. We'll make sure you're not in danger. She's got an awful temper, that redhead. Got mad at me once when I squawked at the prices she was paying us for radios. What was she paying you, Mahoney? Oh, an eight-tube radio, good shape, seven bucks. <laughs> she got all the gravy and you got all the grief. You're not kidding. Joe, hmm? are you? Yeah, Steve, what do you got? Well, the men are all staked out, Joe. Got the area covered from every angle. All right. You got an extra man to stay in Milford's car? Oh, I'll handle that myself. Fine, thanks. Okay. All set, Joe? Yeah. Now, Milford and Mahoney, we're going to put you two in your car now. There's going to be an officer with you, so there's no need to be nervous or afraid. You just sit in the car and act natural. When this Myra drives up, don't leave the car. Have her come to you. You got it? Sure. Okay. All right, Joe, let's go. Sure is cold out. I don't even have a heater in my car. You stole enough of them. Okay, Steve, here they are. All right, boys. Milford, get in first behind the wheel. Okay. Mahoney in the middle. Now sit in the back. We'll be parked in that garage across the street, Steve. Got a perfect view of the alley. Okay, Ben. Check with you later. All right. Mean night, Joe. Yeah. Come on. It's cold here in the garage, isn't it? Yeah. It might be a long wait. What time you got? Six minutes past ten. Thank you. Hey, Joe, what is it? Uh, it's nothing. Thought that passing car was turning in the alley. Relax. It's early. Lonely place. Dark. Gets on your nerves. That's it, Ben. Half past eleven. Nothing yet. Somebody might have tipped her off. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Well, let's wait it out anyway. Joe, that blue coupe yeah, just turned in the alley. Let's go. Come on, run, Ben. Bye. 
All right. I'll wake him. Oh, a quick fight. Who'd you get, Steve? Uh, here he is. Just drove up in the coop. Got out and called Milford Mahoney by the first names. He's in on it. What about the girl? No sign. The kid was the only one in the car. All right. Tell them in the stakeout's offered and I'd have them report back in. We'll take the kid with us. Okay. All right, young fellow. This way. What do you cops think you're doing? I ain't done nothing. Look, sport. We heard that from 54 different kids yesterday. We're tired of that line. Come on. When we got back to the office, we took the boy to the interrogation room and questioned him. He gave his name as Matthew Leiter, age 21. He wouldn't break until Vince Mahoney definitely identified him as a member of his car burglary gang and a special favorite of the red-headed woman they called Myra. Then Leiter copped out and told Ben and I that he had talked with Myra as late as 10 o'clock tonight. He told us that she had heard that the police had picked up some of the gang members and she asked Leiter to drive down to the Chavez Alley meeting place. He was supposed to tell Milford and Mahoney that the weekly delivery date was off until further notice. We questioned Matthew Leiter for an hour and a half. Uh, you told us a little while ago that you talked with this woman, Myra, late tonight. Yeah. Where'd you talk to her? At her home? At her home? Don't be stupid. Nobody knows where she lives. I met her at a bar. Which bar? Julia's. Out in Santa Monica. How did she contact you? Called me at home. She's not such a bad dame. She treats you right. Sure, that's why you're in jail. Did you ever call her on the phone? I don't know her number. None of the kids do. She's smart. She taught me all I know about the racket. You'll have a rough time getting her. Maybe, but we'll get her. Ben and I left the office at 2 a.m. and went home to bed. We reported in at 8 that morning to head back, Strand. The three of us went down the street to Koken's restaurant for a cup of coffee. Nobody was in a good mood. We had most or all the small fry in the citywide burglary ring, but it seemed we were still a long way from cracking the inner circle. Lighter kid said that none of them knows where she lives, what her phone number is, nothing. Pass the sugar here. Mm. I think we still have a few angles to study on that score. Right now, I've got some more bad news for you. What's that? You been through your mail this morning? No, not yet. We haven't had a chance. I saw the overnight reports. There were 32 car burglaries last night. 32. All the way from Wilmington to North Hollywood. Now, you figure it. I can't. This girl, Myra, must have an army of kids working for her. How much did they get, Ed? Any idea? Uh, rough estimate, about $3,000. Usual stuff people are foolish enough to leave in their cars. Watches, cameras, furs, expensive clothes. M.O.'s the same? Uh, like the others. If the car happens to have a rigid handle lock, they slip a piece of pipe over the handle for a lever and break it. If that doesn't work, they pry open the wing window. Some of the windows were smashed out. Sounds like you're in an awful hurry, Joe. Yeah, maybe this Myra wants a few big nights before she peddles the stuff and gets out. And if we're going to get her, we can't waste time. Any suspects picked up last night, Skipper? None. Well, where did they hit most of the car? Outside the Pan Pacific. The parking lot. Hockey game going on. Must have been 4,000 cars for them to pick over. They picked the best. As usual. Well, you better get on it. There's one way to handle it. What's that? She works fast. You work a little faster. We got back to the office and we went over the reports one by one. Then we called the young gang members to the interrogation room and questioned them separately and re-questioned them. We got nowhere. Many of them had met Myra on the street, in the bar, but not one of them had any idea where she lived. At least that's what they told us. Ben had a hunch that Matthew Leiter knew more than he was telling. We had him brought to the interrogation room and all that afternoon until 10 o'clock that night with interruptions for his meal periods, we talked with Leiter. 
he would admit nothing more than what he'd already told us. Yeah, it's got me beat, Joe. Yeah. Now, let's check with Ed. Good morning, Joe. Ben? Hi, Mike. Skipper in? Just went down the hall for a minute. Be right back. Hold it a minute, will you? Yeah. Chief of Detectives, I was handing. Yeah. For you, Joe. Oh, thanks. Hello? Yeah. He does? We'll be right over. That was Sergeant Hopkins over at the jail. Yeah? Matthew Leiter's got something to tell us. Says it's important. Have a chair here, Leiter. Yeah, thanks. All right. You wanted to see us? I'm getting even with that Dame Myra. I'm squaring with you. Yeah? She told me if I was picked up, she'd have me out in a couple of hours. She promised me a lawyer if anything happened. Said she'd get me bail. All right, where can we find her? I don't know if she's there now, but you can find out at Francisco Motors. Big used car lot. Garage, too. It's out on Melrose past La Cienica. What's the time? That's where she fenced most of the stuff we stole. Some old guy she buddies with runs the place. Big shop in the back. Store a lot of hot stuff there. Barney. Yes, yeah, Sergeant? We're through with him. Take him back. <laughs> We checked with Chief Backstrand, and then we drove out to the Francisco Motor Company. We located it on the corner of Melrose and Geneva Avenue. It was a big layout. It consisted of a large used car lot sign bannering the slogan, Deluxe Auto Accessories, lowest prices in town. Along the back end of the lot, there was a large L-shaped garage. We found the man in charge, and he gave his name as Paul Hackett, the owner of the car lot. In the garage, we found the entrance to a large back storeroom was loaded with thousands of dollars worth of auto radios, spotlights, cratefuls of assorted car accessories. Special closets built into the walls of the garage contain racks of fur coats, suits, dresses. Below that, smaller boxes containing watches and cameras, all wrapped in tissue paper. You can save all of us a lot of time and trouble by talking to us now, Mr. Hackett. Where is Myra? I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain what we just found in your garage? I didn't know it was there. I didn't know it was stolen. Well, which is it, Mr. Hackett? Make up your mind. I bought it. But I didn't know it was stolen. You can't prove I did know. I think we can prove it, Mr. Hackett. Some of those stolen car radios stored back there, the serial numbers are filed off, and this workbench here is full of filings. I... I didn't know. You'll have to do better than that. How does Myra figure in? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all right with us, Hackett. We found the stuff and we got you. If we don't find Myra, you'll be doing time for two people. Stand still. You can't. You can't do this to me. I don't know anything about it. Come on, Hackett. We're taking you in. All right, get in the car. Come on, in the car. Am I going to jail? You're going to jail. All right. I'll take you to Myra. Hackett told us that Myra lived at 1345 Munich Drive in Beverly Hills He said that he was Myra's husband He told us that he'd been in a legitimate garage business for 10 years before he married Myra She talked him into the ragged He identified 1345 Munich Drive as their home When we got there, we found stores of stolen property similar to those found in the garage Myra was not there Hackett had no idea where she might be We sat down in the living room and waited One hour, two hours, three hours. After five hours of waiting, the monotony started to wear on everybody's nerves. 
especially Hackett's. Man, the whole thing, it was her idea. I should have known, all hers. She did this to me. I won't take it alone. Where is she? You tell us, Hackett. Told you, I don't know. She couldn't have gone. She didn't know. I'm not going to try this alone. Quiet down, quiet down. That you, Paul? Thought I heard you talking to some. Who's he? The police, Myra. The police. Your smart kids told them the whole story. What are you talking about, my smart kids? What are these cops doing right, here in the living room? Oh, get your dirty hands off me. Get away. Those kids are right, Joe. She got a damn Yeah. Who do you think you're... There, that ought to hold you for a while. All right, come on, you two. Let's go. All right, copper. You win. Stupid husbands. How many times did I tell you? Don't trust those kids. Don't store the stuff in the garage. Don't open it for anybody. Get a lawyer. No, you knew better. Dumb jerk. The idea of having those cops camping in the living room waiting for me. Why didn't you warn me? I'm going to divorce you. That's what I'm going to do. I'll stick you for plenty. Jerk. All right, inside you two. You got a smoke, Ben? Hmm. Yeah. just thinking. More. Those kids were right. She's a pretty nice looking woman. Yeah. Nice face. Beautiful figure. Mm-hmm. Sure talks a lot, though, doesn't she? Yeah. Hey, Joe, remind me to take home some flowers to my wife tonight, will you? The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Paul and Myra Hackett were tried and convicted on seven separate counts of receiving stolen property. They are now serving out their sentences in the state penitentiary. Realizing that most of the young persons involved in the case were influenced by the strong personality of Paul and Myra Hackett, a separate investigation was made into the backgrounds and home life of the young offenders. In most cases, they were found to be basically good and they were placed on probation and returned to their homes. You have just heard the 13th in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of W.A. Wharton, acting chief of police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Detective Harry William Vosper of the Seattle, Washington Police Department, who on the night of July 21st, 1949, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. And now, an important announcement. Starting this Saturday, September 3rd, Dragnet will be heard at a new time over your NBC station. Consult your local newspaper for the new listening time. And now, speaking in behalf of the producers and the entire cast of Dragnet, we would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your many kind letters of encouragement and approval. Remember, next Saturday for Dragnet, this is NBC, the national broadcasting company. <laughs>